means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 9, The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. Elizabeth is with us. Hello. Trust me, we have a lot to talk about. Elizabeth, (laughs) Elizabeth specifically has a lot to talk about. Uh, and we'll get to all of that uh, a little later. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, she has nothing on her mind at all. But she wants to be prepared for that later. But um, first of all, we have some news to share. If you've uh, been following us on Twitter and Instagram, you've noticed that we made a recent announcement that we have reached 1,000 followers on Spotify. Which is crazy. I am usually not one to post a lot about numbers and such. But for being the host of this podcast, I never, ever imagined that it would get outside of my little friend circle. Well, because when we started, it was like, what, seven listens? Yeah, we get seven listens a week. And that was exciting. And that was very exciting. And I was like, wow, people outside, the people on this podcast are listening (laughs) to the podcast. Uh, We've obviously quite surpassed that, and we are very thankful to all those that have listened, that have continued to like, comment, share the podcast, Mm -hmm. so that we can grow and get out to uh, more people, and it's kind of crazy to think that we're heard in almost, uh, I think almost 120 countries, or it's over 100. It's over 100 for sure. uh, Which is awesome, and uh, it's just mind-blowing, if I'm being honest about it, so... And I'm also obviously thankful to everyone that's come on the podcast and helped the podcast grow to this. You included, because <laughs> you help out with the Twitter so, so much. <laughs> to be fair, though, me being on Twitter is mostly just like a random idea, random thought, random meme. It all helps, because <laughs> I couldn't do it. And if I didn't get the help from you and and the other ladies, Jen, Julie, Molly, Anna then this would not have gotten to Chapter 9 of Order of the Phoenix. This would have been done a long time ago. So it takes a lot of work and a lot of time to put these together. And we thank you for supporting that in whichever way you can. Um, I would take this time to just mention that we do have donations set up. If you want to donate financially to the podcast to help (laughs) us, that would also be very much appreciated given how much time and effort we put in. You don't have to. You can keep supporting us by liking, commenting, and sharing the podcast and and helping us grow that way. Just like uh, Vimes at the Ruin... I always mispronounce this. (laughs) R-U-A-N-L on Twitter who commented on one of our episodes towards the end of Goblet of Fire saying, Dan, your defense of Severus is extremely well put and you made great points. I completely agree with you. Thank you so much, Vimes. You have no idea how cocky he was after seeing that. I would like, say agree I was. With me. I wasn't arrogant. I was quite happy people were agreeing with me because usually that is not the case. Yeah. If you've heard the podcast before, so I uh, thank you very much for that comment, and it 
did give me uh, a little bit of a boost in confidence for sure. There you go. So thank you for that. So we have a very large, large chapter to get to. Uh, I think this is one of the bigger chapters we've had recently. It was like 29 pages, something like that. Was it that long? It was something. It was pretty intense. And uh, I would just like to point out for the record, we're in Order of the Phoenix and we're doing chapter nine. Nine chapters, and at the end of this, it's 178 pages. <laughs> and we have still not gotten to Hogwarts. I know a lot of it's people crazy. complain about how long it takes to get to Hogwarts, but I feel like this has been really fascinating seeing the behind the scenes stuff and, you know, being both at the headquarters and getting to go to the ministry. It's kind of fun seeing more of the Wizarding World than just Hogwarts. It's definitely more world building, which I appreciate. And I appreciate more as an adult than I was as a kid. I'm sure. If I remember right, as a kid, I was always like, oh, let's just get to the magical parts of like Hogwarts. <laughs> and yeah, it's fine. But the world building uh, is, is much more appreciated now. And it's important, I think. It is important. Uh, so just briefly uh, on the chapter rundown, we're going to kind of break this up into the post fallout from the hearing, everything that kind of happens in the immediate aftermath of Harry's courtroom drama. And... Then we'll go back to Grimwald Place and kind of see what the trio is, how they received, uh, how Ron and Hermione received the news, and some other big news that they get. Hmm. And then we kind of have this dinner, eve of leaving to Hogwarts kind of celebration that goes on, and uh, some other stuff happens. So <laughs> we'll get to that too. She these chapters more and more and more. She jams so much into them. There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. It's worth all 20-whatever. I'm pretty sure it's 29 pages. Hmm. Uh, so this post-hearing fallout. Obviously, Harry leaves the courtroom, uh, meets Arthur, who's in a little bit of a panicked state himself, not knowing exactly what happened in the courtroom because Albus didn't tell him. Yeah, and he wasn't allowed inside. So, uh, you know, Harry kind of briefs him very quickly on, on what all happened. And then they run into an interesting conversation happening in the hallways. They run into Lucius and Fudge. They Which they ran into them on level 9. Because remember, the courtroom is in level 10. So they had to go up the stairs. And level 9 was, uh, according to previous chapter, Department of Mysteries. So Lucius was out there talking to Fudge and rattling his pocket. So we know there was gold or, or some at least some money in there. Um, and Fudge said, you know, we're going to go to our office and we're going to talk privately there. But notice he didn't even get into that until after Lucius, like, taunted Harry and Arthur to their faces right in front of Fudge. And Fudge says nothing. Well, Fudge is not exactly in the great frame of mind coming out of that hearing. No, he's not a fan of Harry. He's not a fan of Harry. He's not a fan of Arthur. He's not a fan of Albus. He's not a yeah. fan of pretty much anybody. Which aligns quite seamlessly with Lucius Malfoy's <laughs> angle as well. You mean Lucius doesn't like Harry Potter? He doesn't like any of the three of them. <laughs> Which, as much disdain as you got from him addressing Arthur, you can kind of tell that right from the get-go. I do like Harry's note of Lucius looking him right in the eye still. Mm -hmm. Given the last time they were in the same general vicinity, he was in Death Eater garb. Right and uh, jeering and chanting and, and yelling as Harry was being tortured and almost killed. Do you think Lucius Moore is thinking about that moment 
or remembering the fact that Harry deprived him of Dobby. I don't think he cares either way, honestly. <laughs> I think Lucius is in such a I'm above it all. Yeah. I don't think, honestly, it really matters to him. If he's... Well, he is being sneaky. I mean, like, we know flat out that he's a Death Eater, and yet here he is standing with the Minister of Magic. and Who the... Harry accused Lucius of being a Death Eater to right. months ago. Right. Yeah. And it's like Fudge is just completely ignoring all the facts and just being like, yeah, sure, I'm going to talk to you because, one, you give me money, and two, your view of how things have gone is not going to inconvenience me and cause panic. So I'm just going to, like, turn a blind eye and, and you know, go, go up to my office and we can gossip about how Dumbledore is clearly, like, has dementia or something like that. <laughs> I'm sure that's what they're talking about. <laughs> the The... Concerning part, which Arthur gets to, is he's not naive in that Lucius is a smart, powerful person. Mm -hmm. Fudge is a smart, powerful person. They're not having idle conversations. They're having real world-affecting conversations that could be going on, whether it's Lucius trying to influence policy or just... I don't think he even has to do much to really push Fudge in a certain direction. No, Fudge definitely reminds me of like one of those gossipy kids who the minute they hear something, they're like, I have to tell somebody. Because I mean, like he literally, he just came out of a court hearing. And I would think that based on the fact that Harry was tried by a full court, that the information in that court hearing is kind of like, important and confidential i don't know if there's like rules about court transcripts being put out into the public the way you know it is in the muggle world but i would think like i mean he comes out and automatically lucius knows about harry's patronus and that seems kind of important for i mean important information for a death eater to know and pass along to Voldemort, and he's he knows how like you know, he, he just got off the case. He doesn't have any of this hovering over his head anymore. And he kind of made that comment about Harry escaping. And Harry's like, yeah, I'm, I'm good at that. Like, he, he just has this information that you know he shouldn't have. And I'm sure Fudge is also giving him other information that he shouldn't have. And we know it is all going right back to Voldemort's ears. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that it is. Uh, I don't think... Lucius dwells on the whole Patronus thing. I think he literally just... I don't even think he honestly even cares that all that much about the trial itself. I think he's just like, is he expelled or is he not? Okay, let's go take care of the real business now. Mm -hmm. I think they have bigger topics. And that's why I think Fudge was maybe a little bit looser with the details. Because it's ultimately, even though he trumped it up a whole bunch, ultimately it's just an underage magic trial, which is relatively insignificant well i also think he has like the history with lucius of he's given me money he's consistently come back so i feel free to give him information that oh, he yeah. really I, shouldn't be doing i know i'm i'm sure well and that's what i kind of mean by there's bigger things mm. on their itinerary than than a hairy underage magic thing i i'm sure lucius's money is going to bigger things that really matter mm. um so you know, actual policy <laughs> that can be made, which they hinted at in the hearing. Yeah. 
so there's bigger things to talk about there, I think. Um, but speak, speaking of bigger things, I mean, they are, once Arthur and Harry leave that interaction, mm-hmm. they have their own separate side conversation. And that gets into like, oh, do you think he's under the Imperius curse? Do you think Fudge was uh, kind of hoodwinked? Mm-hmm. And Arthur's like, oh, we thought of it. But no, at, at this point, we think he's acting of his own accord. Yeah. Which is like 10 times worse. I mean, if he wasn't under the Imperius curse, then like, okay, yeah, it explains his behavior, makes it tricky for us to deal with, but it explains it. But for him to just like have all the facts and... Does he? I mean, all the facts that Dumbledore gave at the end of Goblet of Fire. You have to take his word for it. Yeah, but like he had, he had all the information and he is choosing not to believe it. Like he is literally in, in muggle world, this would be like, you know, you are presented with all the facts, but because you believe a conspiracy theory, you're like, I don't, I don't trust that. I'm going to believe my own Well, that's what Fudge thinks this is, is a conspiracy theory. Right. He is on the other side of it. He's like. Prove it to me. Right. He thinks Dumbledore is spreading the conspiracy theory. So, like, you're coming off very anti-fudge right now, which is fine. And I totally (laughs) understand that. I totally get it. And I'm not going to argue that with you. But I will just say it's... And we've talked on other episodes about, like, there's more to Fudge's uh, line of thinking here. Right. Than just him, you know, No, I remember you saying, like, he doesn't want to cause a panic. He he wants... He's... he can't just fully dive into everything that Dumbledore suggests. There's other... It's more complicated. It's more complicated. But, of course, from Harry's perspective, it's just mind-boggling. It's like, <laughs> I literally told you this man that you're talking to is evil. And he works for evil, which has come back from the dead. And yet, you're just like... I know, you know but Elizabeth... shoulders with him. We both work with 15-year-old kids. <laughs> Whenever a 15-year-old kid comes up and says something to me... I know. I take it with you a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt, right? <laughs> like, right. You know, I mean, now Dumbledore is a different story, but when a fifteen-year-old kid says it, you're like, yeah, okay, I'll believe that when I see it, mm-hmm. or I get way better proof than just the word mm-hmm. of a child. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that's just how things go. <laughs> I mean, you know that's true. Yeah. So, speaking of you know Lucius uh, jingling some money around, Harry walks past the fountain mm-hmm. uh, that we got introduced to. In the last chapter, or the last uh, two chapters, Ministry of Magic and um, the hearing. And he had promised that if he got off, he would actually donate like 10 galleons or whatever. And he just, instead of 10 galleons, he just dips his whole whole pouch. I love that. And I'm like, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> now that we're getting a close-up look as he's dumping the money into the fountain, Harry notices that the wizard looks particularly weak and foolish. Mm-hmm. The witch looks very vapid, kind of like a beauty contestant. And the goblins and the centaurs look adoringly upward at the witch and wizard, which... He said, no, none of them would do that. That seems, none from what them. he's seen of actual centaurs and actual goblins, that seems a little off mm-hmm. uh, of reality. He says the closest one is actually the house elf, who looks... Uh, more like in an air of servitude. I just love how Harry sees through the through the statue. I mean, you can you can certainly try to portray 
the relationships of the witches and wizards and creatures to be like that, but he knows, like, you know, this is not reality. Uh, we get back to Grimald Place. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff happens at Grimwald Place. Now, I will start off by saying, and you and I have been particular defenders of Order of the Phoenix as a book, I will just say, for the record, against popular opinion and popular thought, <laughs> Harry does indeed smile in this book. and laugh in this book. Yeah, I, I mean, the... the weight of this trial has been lifted off his shoulders and i mean just like this scene alone this is one of those the, the way she wrote it it's so visual to me you have molly and arthur arthur trying to be like okay here's what's going on here's where i'm going hey molly people might be stopping by for dinner harry's smiling you have fred george and Ginny all just be like he got up he got up he got up and just like war chanting and molly yelling at them to like shut up we can't hear anybody it's just such chaos and i love it it's i think this is just an example of what depression anxiety uh can and and isolation mm -hmm. can do to a person it it's puts you in such a hole and puts you in such a uh, certain type of mood. And I think many readers who criticize this book for Harry's emotions really dissociate themselves from what he's actually been through. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, oh, he should be happy. Why is he so sad? Or why is he so angry? Or, yeah, this is the... the he has been the, through a lot. This is the depression and anxiety lifting off your shoulders and then seeing the light and being around people who love you again and being like, oh, this, this, this actually is fun. This is a good time. I like being here. He does note that, like, the house has become warmer and more homey. Even creatures seemed less, less ugly. ugly. <laughs> uh, I will say... And we'll get to that in a second. He does go through a little bit of an emotional roller coaster in this chapter, mm -hmm. which begin with him getting a little angry at Hermione because they get into this side conversation of originally Sirius Black is very happy for Harry that he got through the trial, everything ended up good. Mm -hmm. But he also has no uh, noticed that Sirius has withdrawn more and he spends more and more time uh with buckbeak in that in that one bedroom and they get into this debate of with hermione about well what what exactly was serious thinking was gonna happen yeah. I, I think part of him wanted harry to be expelled so he could live with him but the other part of him was like oh, i shouldn't be thinking that I should want him to go to Hogwarts. I think it was Harry that said, said Hermione, so you think he's like touched in the head? And her response, I think, is very astute. She just says, no, I think he's been very lonely for a long time. And he has. I mean, yes, he was alone in Azkaban. He was alone in the caves and on the run all last year. Now he's in a household that he felt alone in his entire childhood. And people come and people go, and, and to have nobody permanently there with him other than Creature, yeah, that's a that's You know what I think this thing. is? I think, and Hermione points out that, you know, maybe he does think of you more like James, mm -hmm. like Molly said, than as a godson. Mm -hmm. And I think people point to moments like this where they 
point out flaws in Sirius Black. And I would counter with, even though, yes, he's an adult, and we've talked a lot about children's emotions and how they can vary all over the place. Sirius, even though he's an adult, is still human. Oh, yeah. No one is perfect. Adults still have emotions, too. <laughs> right. Like, why can't he be selfish? Mm-hmm. Why can't he be a little upset that he didn't get something that he thinks yeah. he wants? Yeah. That's just a human reaction. Yeah. I And Hermione points it out. You know, I'm sh- sure he knows that this is the right outcome. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not naive and he's not dumb enough. Or foolish enough to think that, you know, this is the wrong outcome. It should have been different. No, he yeah, knows. He doesn't want Harry to be expelled from school. But he's he still allowed to be like, oh, I get to spend less time with Harry. That makes me sad. He's allowed to have that. Yeah. That thought. I don't think anyone would argue that he doesn't or he can't. I'm going to just switch gears really quickly here right before we get to the big news uh, for Ron and Hermione. Mm-hmm. The waste paper basket is belching. <laughs> You don't want the garbage can to burp at you? No. <laughs> Does that is that another thing that needs to be addressed? Like is that like a spider tweeze that ends up throwing up the owl droppings later? Like <laughs> doesn't want it. You're a waste paper basket. This is what your existence is for. <laughs> I feel like they need to address that. Anyway. I think it's just continuing the house is at war with them. Getting back to Things that matter in the whole scheme of things. <laughs> we get news from Ron and Hermione as they get their school letters with all the books they need, with all the you know the things they need for the upcoming year. Mm-hmm. There are two badges that come along in each of their letters. Prefect badges. Prefect badges. And so what that essentially is, is you get a little status bump. You're in charge of other people. It reminds me of like being an RA in college, residential advisor. Very similar, yeah. This is where Harry starts his range of emotions. And quite honestly, it's very interesting to see him and Ron. Because mm-hmm. they have most of these interactions together during this news. And they both have insecurities. And Ron has the, obviously the insecurity because the twins pop in and start on him immediately. <laughs> like, immediately. And he has this insecurity of, one... Am I worthy of this? I don't know that I'm worthy of this. I don't know that I'm, you know, Bill or Percy or Charlie. I, I'm not them. So, And then I think he does idolize the twins a little bit with their popularity. Yeah, and, and they have like, always made fun of Percy for being a prefect. Yeah, that's the other part of it is yeah. I think he does look up to the twins as like, oh, they're popular. Everybody likes them. I want to be them. And but, I'm sure to some degree... If he had been even thinking about this, he probably assumed Harry's going to get it. So to then instead receive it in his envelope, it's like, whoa, I wasn't prepared for this. And now how do I react? How do I how do I make sure that Harry's not feeling like weird about it? And how do I, like you said, protect myself from the twins? But also at the same time, there's the excitement of like, Wait, I get something new because of this. I get, like, I get something, like, I mean, like, Percy got his owl and and he asks for a broom, right? Like, I get a a new broom. This is cool. I never get anything new. I'm I'm the hand-me-down kid. 
So it, it is a, a wide range of emotions that Ron is going through. And he through. does have that little selfish impulse of like, wait, I did something better than Harry? Yeah. Like, I, I'm i now one-upping Harry Potter for yeah. once? It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I think Harry has that thought of like, well, yeah, well Ron, for, for Ron finally Harry, gets one up on me. That's fine. Harry, at first, the initial reaction is just pure jealousy. And when Hermione bursts in and, and she's like, oh, Harry, you got it too. And he's like, oh, I, this is actually Ron's. This is Ron's. Yeah. Like, I was just holding it. It's an awkward situation. And he, of course, he, he noticed that there's this, this uncomfortableness of how do I react? What sounds natural? And after Ron leaves the room and Hermione leaves the room, he gets mad at himself because he's like, you know, Ron didn't ask for this. I'm being petty. This is stupid. Like, why? Ron is just as good as me, and and he can do this job well. So I should I shouldn't ruin this for him. That's a mini roller coaster of emotions right there, because he goes back and forth quite often, deciding on which emotion he's going to land on. Yeah. And I give him. This is another human moment. Mm -hmm. It's human to be insecure about this. It's human to be angry about this. It's human to question the whole thing and be like, I've done a lot of stuff. How am I not this? Right. Um, Especially when literally everybody else in that house assumes. Oh, everyone assumes that he was going to get it. I give him major credit for getting mad at himself for being petty and just being like, you know what? I need to not ruin this for Ron. Like that, that's matured. It is a it is a level of maturity for sure. Uh, I do like how Mrs. Weasley comes in, and Fred and George are just still there, and they're just trying to like make her realize. Mm-hmm. And then they're like the badge. Look at the badge. <laughs> and I like them pretend vomiting behind her when she's like, "Oh, Roddykins." Well, they <laughs> that's she, everyone in the family. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. She goes, "Oh, that's everyone in the family." And then they're like, "Are we neighbors?" Yeah, I love like, that. Like, what, what are we? <laughs> we did not become prefects. Um, yeah, that was an interesting moment. <laughs> to be fair, neither of them like they both couldn't have become prefects. There's no Only chance. Only one of them. Only one. Can. Only one could, but so I mean, right there probably automatically eliminates them. But mm-hmm. two, you can't. You can't. You, you can't, just so can't do it. I think it. It's fine. <laughs> Ron does decide to make a run down to Molly and be like, the clean sweep. I want the new clean sweep broom. Yeah. I think that'd be a reasonable thing. Which I love for him, that he gets a new thing, a brand new broom. And I mean, it's not necessarily like, it doesn't have to be a firebolt or anything, but he has an owl. He, thank you, Sirius. He's got brand new dress robes. Thank you, Fred and George via Harry. But like... he he loves quidditch so much I, i'm so happy for him that he gets this i i do enjoy first of all i enjoy ron getting some shine he's well overdue for mm-hmm. some shine and number two i i am intrigued by the the roller coaster of emotions that harry goes on he almost dips into like a little mini existential crisis mm-hmm. when he like is debating oh should i be happy for ron should i not and then he's like wait am i arrogant for like right. being upset with this, right? Am I better than Ron? Wait a second, <laughs> like what I am love I thinking? That the truthful voice in him was like, "No, I'm not better than him. He's just as good." He definitely has like, a little like yay. back and forth with himself about it. Which then the the portrait is like, the portrait's laughing at him this entire like, time. Wow, you must really be crazy if you're arguing with your own head. Like, <laughs> <sighs> I love that. Anyway, so Molly is super over over the moon thrilled. So 
instead of a going back to Hogwarts feast, now mm. it's a it's a party, full blown party. Everybody come by. Yeah. And you get a whole bunch of people coming over. Mm-hmm. And you get a little bit of history. Obviously, this is. I shouldn't say obviously, but this is the fourth prefect in the family. So you get Charlie, Percy, uh, Bill, Charlie, Percy, and now Ron, Ron. all prefects. I think Charlie had the added boost of he was Quidditch captain too later. So, and then you had Bill and Percy as head boys. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously a lineage here. So that's... Good job, Weasley family. Good job, Weasley family. Tonks mentions that she has never uh, been a prefect. She, She never got that honor. Lupin mentioned this because Sirius calls out Lupin was like, no, no, no. Lupin was a good boy. <laughs> yeah, Lupin was the good one. Me and James never had a prayer. So uh, you get that info that Lupin was the uh, the responsible Which one. Which then is the, to continue tracking his emotions. I mean, he got jealous of Ron, then he got mad at himself, and then hearing other people like assume that he was going to get the badge makes him uneasy. Hearing that James was never a prefect just makes him feel elated. He's like, I love everyone, and this is such a fun festival, and food, and and company, and this is great. And then it immediately is like, goes right back down again. Yeah, Moody has a great knack of missing the emotional cues. (laughs) And he does think he's giving him a gift. And honestly, it is. I, I still believe it is a gift. It's everything that Moody says. Yeah. That is the wrong tone. And let me just run this down because there's a lot of information here. There's So he gives him in a picture of the original Order of the Phoenix, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that whole group. And I'm, I'm going to skip the names that we already know. And mm-hmm. I'm going to delve into some names that we really haven't gotten a lot of info on. So bear with me as I run through this. We have Marlene McKinnon, who's her and her whole family were killed two weeks after that photo had been taken. Just crazy. That's nuts. You have Benji Fenwick, uh, who died, and they only found bits of him. That's crazy. Which is aggressive. You have Edgar Bones, who's the brother of Amelia, who is just at Harry's trial. He was killed with his family, uh, and Moody acknowledges that he was a great wizard, mm-hmm. which... High praise from Moody. That's high praise from Moody. And, I mean, if Amelia Bones is the head of the law enforcement, magical right. law enforcement, you can imagine his skill as well. You have Caradoc Dearborn, who vanished six months after this photo, and he was never found. Uh, you have Gideon and Fabian Pruitt. Both died. Uh, they Moody, this is, again, high praise. He says they fought like heroes. Mm-hmm. It took five Death Eaters to kill them. Yeah. And then we have... Uh, Dorcas Meadows, who was killed by Voldy himself. Which makes you wonder what that situation was. She had she had to be a pretty prominent witch to have Voldy specifically go after mm-hmm. you. If it took if he sent five Death Eaters to kill the Pruitts, yeah, and couldn't do it himself, but this one he's like, no, 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 yeah, I got if this you want one it done right. You do it yourself. So, so why uh, that one? That's always uh, a high praise in itself when mm-hmm. he goes after you. So um, that obviously puts Harry in a downer of a mood. <laughs> Well, you skipped a little bit of what I put for his emotional ride. Like, you know, he was super excited about James not being a prefect. And then Mundungus was talking to the twins and he kind of, I mean, he was doing black market trading, basically. And Harry felt guilty. He's like, you know, if I, 
if it comes out that the twins got money, then will this cause another rift in the Weasley family, like the way Percy did? And I don't want to do that. And then he Well, felt, that was already tensions with Molly. Like Molly already right. has tensions. So there's that like, oh God, I feel guilty. And then he got uneasy again because he heard Lupin and Kinsley being like, oh, and Harry get it. And then before he could even like go off away, then it was, yeah, Moody showing him this picture and hearing all these deaths. And he's just like, you know, yes, like clearly Moody, Moody thinks he's, He's doing a kindness here. Because James and James and Lily are in this picture. Yeah, and of course, like, you know... Sirius is in the picture. A young Moody, who's presumably less scarred, is in the picture. And he yeah. wants to show himself and off I mean, a little like, bit. Like, Moody, we have to remember, Moody really hasn't had much interaction with Harry. So he wouldn't necessarily know that bringing this up right now maybe isn't the best tactic to do. You could argue like it's a it's a reading the room type of thing. He's because, reading the room, and he's not as good as it right now. Well, I don't think he's as emotionally adept as he is magically adept. Yeah, but, but he also just doesn't know Harry as well. To Moody's uh, defense, a little bit, there are people in that room who would be very much interested in this picture. Oh yeah, it's history. I mean, Sirius comes over and he's like, "Moody, what you got there?" Yeah, like, I think he would be interested in it. Yeah, and I think some of these people would because. They remember these people yeah, and, and they want to remember these people. we are now the second order. Like, right. let's us take a picture. Um, well, that also causes some drama a little later. Mrs. Weasley decides to turn in for the night. But before so, she wants to make sure, because Moody is finally here after yeah. presumably weeks. So she's like, hey, can you check if that's actually a bog art in, uh, in one of the drawers upstairs? And he looks really quick and he's like, yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's a boggart. Yeah. You have a note on the boggart. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you guys brought it up in one of the other episodes where I know it's been a, a thing, the whole fandom has been like, how does this work? Because Lupin said nobody can see a boggart's, like, true form since it always takes the form of your fear. So what's it look like when there's nobody around? And if Moody is able to look up at it and see it and know, like, oh, yeah, that's what it is, like, then Moody should be able to see the true form of a boggart. So my theory is just that a boggart before it sees a person is just like a black hole. Like there's nothingness, no light can touch into it, that kind of thing. It's just a vapor. I was looking at MuggleNet and they had this whole long, like, it almost read like a philosophy paper of like, here's one variation, and if this is true, then this is true, and, and then if that's true, then this is other true. So some of the bits that I was pulling from it, uh, they said like, in theory, if a, when a boggart has no tangible form, then it is probably a collection of misty vapors that embody the fear in all people within a certain perimeter. So it's like, I was thinking like... Just so if a boggart is in a house with presumably... 12 people in the house mm -hmm. it's an amalgamation of those people's fears not conforming to one specific right one. it's just kind of like hanging there um but then they got into this whole bit of like well isn't that very similar to a dementor because i mean dementors is also fear um so they said the difference here is while dementors will suck away all happy essences like a vacuum the boggarts are different in that they take that essence of what you fear but they rebound it back into reality. So they take the tangible form, thus making the fear stronger than before. Um, boggarts, of course, are banished by your laughter because you're denying the boggart from the fear. Whereas Dementors got get banished by happy thoughts, 
which is, of course, the exact opposite of, like, the bad memories that they force upon you. So there is a difference between the two. Um, they said, you know, we still don't technically know what a bogger looks like when there's nobody around. I think that's a pretty reasonable... Assumption? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. I I, I think if... I, I really think for, for Moody to see up there, I think seeing the absence of anything is a clear indication that there's something there. Same way with, like, black holes in space, right? The absence of any light indicates that there's something here just not stars. So, Mrs. Weasley leaves the conversation with Moody, mm -hmm. and Harry notes that her at this party is roughly the happiest she's been all summer. Yeah. And she goes to bed, but before she actually turns in for the night, she goes to deal with the boggart. And Harry ends up leaving the party after Moody's uh, picture. Mm -hmm. And he notices someone sobbing mm -hmm. in the drawing room. He goes in there and finds Mrs. Weasley with her wand up against the wall. And Ron. Ascent Ron is the first one. Yeah. Lying dead in the room where he's like, oh, my gosh, Ron. Oh, my gosh. Ron's downstairs. Right. <laughs> like, this can't. How did this happen? Wait. This didn't happen. I literally just saw him alive. And then it like flips and rotates through mm -hmm. different bodies. Arthur, the twins, Percy, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And eventually... Harry himself. Eventually Harry himself. And then Moody, Lupin, and Sirius, Sirius come up the stairs, come into the room. Uh, Lupin takes care of the Boggart fairly quickly mm -hmm. uh, after looking at Harry's body and then Harry standing right next to him. <laughs> he puts two and two together very quickly. Right. <laughs> but then there's a very interesting conversation that happens. And the conversation is really between Lupin and Molly with mm -hmm. serious inputting some, some tidbits, but it's really between Lupin and Molly. And you get some insights as to Mrs. Weasley. We talked about it a couple of chapters ago with Jen and Julie. Mm-hmm. About why are her kids here? Mm -hmm. Why are they at Grimmauld Place? If they don't want them knowing about the order, why have them in the headquarters of the order? It's the safest place they could be. It's the safest place they could be. Yeah. And she has very serious um, fears. And you get a sense of that when she says, I dream about them all the time. I dream about them dying, essentially. I give her so much credit for going to take on a Bogart despite knowing what her worst fears are. Like, if I seen loved ones dead were my worst fear, I don't think I would so, volunteer to go take it down. So, well, so you know what? Here's the thing. We actually put on, uh, I think it was number 12, Grimmel Place, or The Order of the Phoenix. It was one of those two. I think it was The Order of the Phoenix chapter. We put the poll as... Mm. What creatures living in Grimwall Place would you most fear yeah. slash worry about? Yeah. Bogart only has a couple of votes. Mm -hmm. The one leading is actually large, normal spiders. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Oh, they're not that bad. Well, here's the thing about it. That, I get, is a phobia in itself. So mm -hmm. people have those phobias. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, like, you know, disparaging that as a poll result. That's what you fear. That's what you fear. But I think people are neglecting that a bogart 
is your is worst fear. fear. Yeah. So it depends on what your fear is. I mean, for Lupin, obviously, it's very easy to get rid of the moon. Well, it's the moon. But that's the thing. You think it's easy. You think. Well, yeah. Okay. That that's to good you point. yourself, to you, it's easy. But Harry does say how Lupin does it kind of lazily. Because I think for Lupin seeing the moon, like, yes, that's the the scary bit, but it's more of what comes after that fears him. Fear is such an intangible emotion. Mm -hmm. And you have, like you just said, the moon. Oh, that's easy, right? Because you don't fear the moon. If the moon shows up and that sparks real like well, dread yeah, in you. Yeah, the dread because of what comes You can next. be, still, that gets paralyzing. Right. You get paralyzed like Molly did, even though they're two very different things, right. but they instill two different emotions I, in I you. I would guess that Lupin can do it lazily. Simply. He's accepted the fear, I think. Well, that, but I think he also recognizes as a Bogart, the change of turning into a werewolf is not about to happen. Whereas if I'm outside and yes, I do see the moon up in the sky, then oh shoot, I'm in trouble. So I, I think he recognizes that. Whereas with Molly, I mean, like, like the fear that she has has always had of seeing her children die. I mean, she's had to face that before with like Ginny and Chamber of Secrets, but now with knowing Voldemort's back and knowing the reality of what that means, and like I'm sure you'll talk about previous experiences with that it's more real and i think that makes it even even harder right now so molly ends up in her conversation with lupin ends up saying three very poignant things Mm -hmm. one is we mentioned it already she's had dreams of Mm -hmm. her family dying two half her family is in the order of the phoenix currently like right now right and Fred and George are on that doorstep. Right. And this goes back to the Order of the Phoenix chapter where we were arguing about who's in on these conversations and why is Molly making such a big fuss about this. Mm-hmm. This is why. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's worried about, and not just this, we just had a picture, literally. We of people just dying. had right. a picture of Moody right. where half of those individuals are gone. And some of them in very gruesome Right. Ways and some never even found, which might even be worse. Which is the the what the roller coaster of Harry's emotions ends on. He sees that he's shocked to see both dead Ron and dead twins and everybody, and but then himself and seeing Mrs. Weasley crying over this, he feels so moved by it, and it. He said it makes him feel more mature, feel and really think like, okay, prefix badges. That means nothing. There's bigger things. There are so many bigger things. And I think that alone turned his maturity up several notches. I I don't want to gloss over this Molly moment. This is, the chapter is The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. And Mm -hmm. I feel like you get so much of the chapter without that Mm -hmm. point. And then at the end, you just get hit so hard with it. And it's... I don't want to gloss over it because it's such an important character beat for Mrs. Weasley. And it kind of puts into context a lot of what we've seen from her in previous books and previous chapters. And it also points to a specific hot topic that we've had recently because Percy is one of those bodies right. that she sees. Right. She still loves him even though he's left the family well, to a degree. She goes into 
part of her. By the way, Lupin's doing a great job of being like, Molly, we're more informed this time. We're we'll not, take care of your kids if anything were to happen. We're, we're, because she gets into like, Arthur and I could die. Right. And she like says that. And he's like, don't I, worry, they're not going to starve. We'll, well, still, we'll take care of them. It's still a, it's a fear. It's a L- legitimate Lupin, fear. Lupin does a really good job dealing with it, but for Molly to say that out loud yeah. in a room full of people yeah. is not a small thing. Yeah. And she goes, very matter-of-factly, like, Arthur and I can die. Mm-hmm. Like, what will happen to Ron? What will happen to Ginny? Mm-hmm. And yes, Lupin does reassure her, like, we'll take care of them. We have them. We're more informed. We were outnumbered, I think he says, like, 20 to 1 or 20 to 2. Some, so, some crazy outnumbered uh, thing in the first Wizarding War. And he's like, we're, we're much better off. Mm-hmm. We've got a head start this time. It won't be like last time. Right. And then she gets into this... Well, what happens if Percy never reconciles with yeah. us? Yeah, he never talks to us again. What if he never talks to us again and then Arthur and I don't make it? Mm-hmm. That's a horrible way to go out. Mm-hmm. Which will lead to a very explosive <laughs> spoiler section with Elizabeth. Yes. She has some thoughts on the debates we've had recently, <laughs> sparking from Jen and Julie's. Uh, chapter number 12, Grimwald Place. Oh, chapter, what was that, four? Four. Yeah. Where it's the Harry versus Ron and Hermione argument against the Percy and Arthur argument. You have some thoughts. I do. Before I get to them in the spoilers, so I don't want to gloss over the little detail about Sirius either. Um, when he came into the room, he saw Harry's dead body. And the only sentence that she puts here is Sirius was staring at the patch of carpet where the Bogart pretending to be Harry's body had lain. And I know it's just like a tiny little detail, but I feel like in that moment of just seeing it and then he probably feels like he's drowning in emotion in that in that second of, you know, dead godson who I should have protected, who I've tried to protect, dead James, my best friend dead willy too like seeing that like even if that isn't necessarily sirius's worst fear we don't know what a bogart turns into whenever he sees it but seeing that is traumatic for any anyone in the role of like parent and that's what he is so i got a lot out of a very little serious yeah i I, like i've i've cried before at that sentence because i've put myself into his his shoes of like i mean he's not the kind of person to very openly show emotion and i think part of that is i'm both what he's had to go through in order to survive but also a little bit of you know men don't tend to show emotions as visibly i think as well it takes him a second before he can start joining in with lupin and and telling molly like it's okay it's okay it's okay like i think he had to reassure himself before he could turn to reassure molly with that (laughs) we will pause right here and we will turn to what i'm sure will be a very lively spoiler section (laughs) so stay with us and we'll be right back 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we are back with the spoiler section of Chapter 9, The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. Uh, before Elizabeth gets to her big moment, and, <laughs> and people, I'm not exaggerating, she has a paper front and back, handwritten, single-spaced. She has a lot to say. So, But, but before we get there, a couple, couple little mini things. Uh, they mention... Uh, that Umbridge was just mm-hmm. staring at Harry once the hearing had ended. Yeah. Uh, and she was kind of like, not looking at Dumbledore, not looking at, well, she knows how now. <laughs> I've had a lot of questions on the motivations of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And with Umbridge specifically. She's watching him be like, I know I sent the Dementors after you. This was supposed to be foolproof. I was going to get you. And somehow you got out of it. How? Like, it, it, it's it's like, like you know, you watch the, like, a court case or something, and you're like, this is definitely how it should go, and then it goes the opposite way, and you're like, wait, where did this go wrong? This, this is going to work. Here's my thing with Umbridge sending the Dementors. What is her angle there? Like, what is her motivation for doing that? She's not working with or for Voldy yet. Mm-hmm. She's, I don't know, does she ever technically work for Voldy, or is she just doing all that bad no, stuff? No, she just does it for, her for own, herself. Her yeah, own I don't know. that's a whole other debate, which we can get into later. She was trying to force him to do magic, and but why? Because she knows if he does magic, he's going to get in trouble with the ministry, and the ministry has been talking about ways why does to she discredit care? him. Why does she care that much? Because the fudge was. That's going... my initial. That's like my bottom line. I forget point. where it is in the book. Maybe it's. I think it's when they're leading her towards what has he ever done to her? Well, that's the thing. She she when she when later on when they're leading her towards the weapon, which Uh is really just going into the Forbidden Forest and being as loud as possible. She goes on about how like Fudge and the others were wanting to discredit Harry, and they've been talking to him about it and wanting it to happen, but they don't actually do anything. And she's the only one who acted. And I think. She thought, if I can force him into a situation where he has to do magic, then they're going to be able to act upon it, especially because of his record. And then if we bring him in, we can do a kangaroo court, and then we can just get him. So what you're saying is, we've talked about crazy in terms of Voldy, and especially Bellatrix before, Mm -hmm. but they pale in comparison (laughs) To the type of, she's that vindictive where that he poses a minor headache to the minister. So therefore, my solution is to send Dementors to suck his soul out. <laughs> well, remember later she on. She is nuts. When she has her office and she has her little picture of Harry and she puts her little post-it note on it that says to be punished. Like, she, yeah. She's... She is crazy. <laughs> like, Bellatrix looks calm and reasoned like but this Bellatrix lady has her own her own issues yeah but, but yeah but 
Bellatrix is chaos crazy. <laughs> like, you don't know where she's at at any given point in time. Right. Umbridge what's, what's is, that, like, um, focused D- crazy. What's for D&D, you know, like, I mean, you know better than me, but the whole, like, chaotic. chaotic good, chaotic, yeah, like, neutral. Where do you think Umbridge falls? <laughs> Just evil. <laughs> Just evil. Like, I mean, she is vindictive before yeah. before he's ever actually done anything to her. Yeah. Like, she just takes it to an infinite level immediately. Maybe she was just, like, sick of hearing his name come up whenever uh-huh. talking to Fudge. And was just like, let's let's do something so we can just shut him up. I don't she... Send literal, like, like, death squad after him. Send the Dementors. She's got issues, which we'll, <laughs> we'll continue to discuss. But oh, I can't wait. Uh, the other thing I wanted to briefly discuss before you get into your thing mm-hmm. is um, when Harry's having that back and forth in his head uh, about... Ron doesn't deserve this. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Yeah. Why didn't they give it to you? You deserve it way better. Blah, 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 blah. All of that. It almost, and I know I brought this up many times, but um, <laughs> the idea of that Horcrux of Voldy oh, yeah, yeah. in his head, and it's just like, it it catches me as a Tom Riddle-esque insecurity of just like, dude, you're better. Mm. Why aren't they acknowledging you? You're a better person. It reminds He's nothing. me. You're the best. You're awesome. It, it reminds me of Gollum and Smeagol talking to each other. A little bit, but that's not a. That's also not a great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Don't aim to be like Gollum. <laughs> it, it just caught me as like that strikes me as a Tom Riddle Harry Potter back and forth discussion. Mm. Just the other voice just egging my. I get that's me reading into it. it there are obviously. Plenty of normal circumstances where you have a back and forth, yeah, uh, with yourself of like, well, is that true? I don't know. That's true. Whatever. Or like you let yourself like if you see someone and you judge them, like, wait, I why am I judging them? I really shouldn't do that. Right. Like that kind of thing. That's a normal thing to have happen. It just so happens that we know the end result with Harry and what all that is. So it's making me read in a little bit more. Yeah. Still. Yeah. So (laughs) I I will I will step back for a second. (laughs) Uh, I will go silent on this podcast for okay. a little bit. Okay. Unless you want me to add in two cents. Well, I feel like you're going to anyway just because Probably. you're going to get excited. Probably. So if you listened to the episode four, chapter four for this book, yes, yeah, so Dan, Dan and Julie got into a little bit of a debate, which seemed to come out of nowhere. I personally love the fact that we can take one tiny detail and create such a vast i thought it was gonna be a lame question yeah and it it turned into this big thing and i i love that there's such variety of interpretation i i being an english teacher that makes me really really happy also a little behind the scenes of the podcast so when we have discussions like this on the podcast they don't just stay on the podcast we'll text each other about it we'll discuss it especially if it's something that gets (laughs) a variety of emotions behind it so Basically, it boiled down to Jen and Julie's argument, I believe, was that the Ron and Hermione versus Harry argument was the worst one because they were being attacked by Harry. He was screaming. It was a one-sided thing, whereas the Percy and Arthur wasn't as bad because it was two against each other. 
I listen to the podcast. I I love Jen. I've known her for forever. I don't know Julie as well. Oh, this is getting a good setup already. I've heard so many great things. But when I was listening to the episode, I'm so sorry. I was just like, I don't agree with any of this. Any whatsoever. And I texted Dan and Dan was just very excited because I was I also don't agree with any of their points. Yeah. So I I re-listened to the episode today in preparation for this. And I just want to kind of go through something. So even before getting into the arguments back and forth, I want to give a little bit of defense to Harry and his outburst. Jen and Julie both were kind of really digging their claws into him. I personally think his reaction was 100% realistic for a teenage boy. I teach them. I have for a while. I've seen 15-year-olds fly off the handles. I've seen 18-year-olds fly off the handles. I've seen adults fly off the handle. I think him, you know, boiling over and finally letting his ventation, like, just just come out, I, I think it's realistic. I do agree with Jen that Hermione could have handled it better, but at the same time, she has more emotional maturity. And I think that's just a combination of, like, biology. Women do mature faster than men. But I would also agree with her that society does put a lot of pressures on women to... Wait, you agree that Hermione could have... I agree that Hermione... Because Jen made the point that just because Harry's 15 doesn't mean no 15-year-old can handle this. That uh, that Hermione handles it very maturely. And, and... I'll, I'll push back only in that... We don't know how Hermione would have handled anything that Harry's been through. Right. So so Jen's point was that, like, Hermione is handling this argument better than Harry is. That's Harry's true. screaming, Hermione's sitting there and yes. just, like, taking it. Which I agree that she, in this discussion, is handling it better. And I agree with her that, like, society does put a lot of pressure on women to, like tame down their emotions so that they don't come across as just well, crazy. Someone also has to be calm when someone else is, is not. screaming. Right, exactly. Otherwise it escalates. Right. So I I think like for Hermione how she yes, probably she wouldn't have been screaming that way, but okay, whatever. Um Jen and Julie both were kept saying that he shows zero remorse. Um, we know that he sent Hedwig after them to like peck their hands and they showed him where she had done that. And he, they were saying how he never, ever, ever apologizes for screaming at them. I fully believe that the reason why he doesn't apologize is because he's embarrassed. If he were to admit that everything that just happened, like he shouldn't have done it brings more attention to it, and teenagers get embarrassed very easily. And he doesn't want to like rehash it again. This is still very fresh for him, and this is embarrassing. Um, I also like they don't demand an apology out of Harry. They don't. They don't be. They they're not. They're never like, oh, are you going to apologize for screaming at us right now because we think that that was unnecessary. And the reason why they don't do it is because they know they don't actually need an apology from them. It reminded me a lot of like when Ron comes to apologize to Harry after the first task with the dragons. And he's like, you know, I think someone put your name in the goblet of fire to kill you. He's like, yeah, you catch on. Like he realized he doesn't actually need Ron's apology. He knows that Ron feels bad and he doesn't want to 
elongate that embarrassment and those feelings of guilt. So he's just like, you know what? I don't need it. So I think for Ron and Hermione, like they don't care that he's screaming at them because they know that this is what was going to happen. They knew this was going to happen. They also think he's somewhat justified in his anger. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do they deserve an apology? Yeah, sure. I I think it would have been more mature for Harry to apologize afterwards for screaming at them. But they're not adults. And they're still learning how to handle their emotions. And they're still learning how to navigate the politeness of that. And if they were adults, I think they absolutely would have apologized. But they're not there yet. In terms of the he shows zero remorse... I would argue that he does show remorse. We know that he has it because he continues to talk to them. He doesn't give them the cold shoulder. He doesn't give them the silent treatment. If he wasn't feeling bad for everything that happened, then I think he would have just given them that treatment. To then counter the argument that he showed no remorse about Hedwig's attacking them, I think he doesn't show remorse at that moment because he's still completely in the emotion of anger and he can't feel another emotion of bad of remorse until the anger is completely done with and it's just not spent yet so he has to get through all of the anger first before he can move and then be like okay you know what i actually do feel bad about everything that just happened sorry but again I'm not going to apologize because we're not emotionally mature enough for that yet. And they're not needing it. Also, uh, just throwing this out there. This book moves quickly. Mm -hmm. And there's big event after big event after big event Mm -hmm. where things just happen. And what happened like two chapters ago is out of everyone's mind. (laughs) Like they've all moved on to the next big thing. There's so much. And I think that's realistic too. Like life moves so quickly. And what irritated you yesterday is now nothing in comparison to... Everything you've gone through in the past 24 hours. Anna and I were speaking on it and we were just like, if we have an argument Mm -hmm. over something we know is silly, that doesn't mean that we don't yell at each other over it. Right. We'll yell, but we know it's not that important in the long run. Right. And we'll just get a drink later and be fine. Which I was talking to Jen about, because I also talked to Jen about that whole debate too on, on the side. And we were agreeing that it's interesting how like this is very much showing our personalities I was thinking a bit like if Hermione had been in Harry's shoes, if Hermione was the one who was, you know, very, very, very upset. I do think Hermione would have confronted them differently. Hermione doesn't seem like the kind of person who's just going to start screaming wildly at the boys. No, but Hermione has shown some emotional immaturity at times too. I think what she would have done is very similar to what I would do slash sometimes still do when I'm not as full, fully like with my emotions. I think Hermione probably would have withdrawn from the other two and she would have said something very cutting that she would have later regretted in her anger. She's not the one to scream. She's one to say something very smart that just cuts deep. And it took me a long time, several arguments and and years of maturing to recognize that I too 
will fight that way. I was never one to like physically attack anyone if I was upset with them. I never punched my siblings. But if I were at that point of being so angry, I would say something that would cut deep. And I had to learn over the process of many years of maturing that like I need to take a step back before I say anything because I don't want to hurt someone in that way. So I think, yes, Hermione, like she would have felt the emotions as deeply as Harry, but she would have approached it differently. Ron probably, I would guess, would be similar with the screaming that Harry did. I guess where we're where this conversation really differs, like you were saying, Jed acknowledged was different people have different personalities Mm -hmm. and you might take offense to something differently than others. Mm -hmm. So Jen, taking her side of the argument that she did, might take more offense to just being yelled at. Right. Versus me, who might take more offense to a personal attack or something that maybe cuts a little deeper. Right. And you can't take back. Yeah, Jen told me, like she said, if she gets yelled at for something she feels is like unjust or she can't understand where it's coming from then it's like really really hard to deal with whereas i necessarily don't find it as hard i I think the personal the personal jabs cut deeper which then gets into the whole um because then they got into ron and hermione versus harry and then the percy and the arthur argument so i first of all i don't know if i would necessarily call the trio's disagreement a fight and the reason why is i mean jen and julie were saying they thought it was worse because it felt like harry was attacking ron and hermione and they were defenseless i completely disagree with that premise i think that ron and hermione are going into this emotionally and mentally prepared for everything that harry is going to throw their way like harry talks about how he He saw them exchange glances, which indicated to him that they were practicing this conversation before he got there, and he's behaving the exact way that they predicted, which also makes him upset because he's like, "Uh, I'm proving them right. That would also make me upset in that situation. Me too. So I think that they are not defenseless here. They are choosing just to not respond emotionally, and that is the defense to de-escalate Harry, which is a very mature tactic. I think that they were just like emotionally prepared for Harry. And I know Jen and Julie were having issues with the fact that Harry just keeps yelling and yelling and yelling. And they're, and they were saying how like, you know, Ron is trying to calm him down and Hermione's apologizing. I, I don't think Harry can stop halfway through his yelling. Like people, when they're upset, they're a large part of why they're upset is because they feel like they're not being heard and they're not being understood and people just want empathy they want to be heard and understood and until they feel like they've gotten that all out they're not going to be able to move forward even if someone is throwing apologies left and right like you don't know the full extent as to why i'm upset And if you don't hear the full extent of why I'm upset, then you're not understanding why I'm upset. You have to let me get through the whole thing. And I think that Ron and Hermione know this. I think Hermione probably knows it a little bit more than Ron and then had to tell Ron this. But I think that they know that 
Harry has bottled up his emotions. He's gone through trauma. He hasn't gotten information out of us. Again, it's not our fault that he hasn't gotten information out of us. There was nothing else we can do. But he feels wronged and we have to let him go through all the reasons why he feels wronged before we can move forward with this. It's an aggressive vent session. Yes. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. I struggled with the idea of removing the outcome of the argument from determining which of the two arguments were the worst. Despite the outcome being a direct result of said of the fight, they get to they continue to be friends, and it's not like they even go a full day of not talking to each other. It's there is the awkwardness. They don't even go hours. No, it's 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 minutes. I like there is yes the uncomfortableness of Harry being like, okay, I just exploded on you guys, and now I I do want to find out what's been going on. So like, let's let's get past this. For Ron, like, and Hermione, they both, the rest of the conversation, they're very tentative and, and careful with how they talk. But by tomorrow, they're totally fine. The Percy and the Arthur argument, though, oh my gosh, there's just so much. It, it makes me uneasy just, just picturing it, like, going into this. So, the way I... I told I, you, everybody, she has... <laughs> Front and back, single spaced handwriting. The way, okay, the Percy and Arthur argument. The way I imagine this is Percy got told at work, you are going to be promoted to junior assistant. And he's like, heck yes, this is great. I get to go home and I get to tell mom and dad. And once again, they're going to be proud of me. I want praise. And he is right to expect this because every other time he's come home with some kind of like promotion news of being a prefect, being a head boy, how he did all his owls, he's always gotten praise. Specifically from Molly. Yes. So he's going into this being like, they're going to be proud of me. Arthur out of Percy always expects reason and good behavior. Like Percy has never done anything that merits a detention, unlike the twins. He is always reasonable. He follows the rules. Like, it makes sense that he thinks Percy's going to, like, hear me. So the problem here is, whereas with Ron and Hermione, they were mentally and emotionally prepared for this argument, neither Percy nor Arthur are expecting different outcomes Mm. and different behavior than what they're historically used to. So Percy comes into this and is like, oh, yeah, Dad, I got promoted. Aren't you proud of me? And Arthur goes right back being like, hey, you do realize this is weird. I've worked at the ministry for as long as I have. Within my career, I have never seen anyone be promoted that quickly, especially after a year of... You messing up? You messing up. So he was not aware that his boss had been imperious and clearly not himself for a full year. Right, right. And yes, he was, I believe, under an inquiry... At the end of Goblet of Fire, and then suddenly in like a month or two, that switched. Right. So Arthur, having the wisdom of being an employee with the ministry for several years, knows that this is not normal. And he probably told Percy that fairly bluntly, knowing like, oh, Percy has always listened to me and he should be aware that this is weird and chances are Fudge is doing this just so you he can have an in on the family and therefore, as consequence, an in on Dumbledore. For Percy to hear that, though, Percy has a stubbornness that is very clear in the situation. He hears what Arthur says and hears it as, 
you're jealous of me. You're jealous of the fact that I just got promoted faster than you did. I'm going to be making more money than you. You're showing this weird paranoia of my boss who promoted me, who clearly sees that I'm amazing. Why are you not seeing that? And you must, you must just be jealous. Like that, that's the only thing that makes sense for Arthur. I think he also has a stubbornness that then comes across. I think he would be telling Percy, you know, like, no, this is not normal. And wait, you're saying I'm jealous of you? I've never been jealous of you. I've always looked out for the family. And then there's the personal jabs of, well, well if you had been a better employee, you would have been promoted faster. And therefore, we wouldn't have been poor our entire lives. Well, and poor is a very low blow for Arthur Weasley. Well, Arthur's also happy where he is. Yeah. He doesn't want to move from where yeah, he is. Yeah, and I mean, Percy said how, like... He's had to work against Arthur's reputation within the ministry. Yeah, and that was a low that's blow. a very low blow. Like being like, "Oh, everyone thinks you're a joke, and I have to work against that." Like, <laughs> you said that to that, your father, right? That <laughs> is so much worse to me. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think <laughs> like, the outcome, I even if we didn't see the fight firsthand, I think the outcome cannot be pushed to the side. Percy feels judged. He feels like his value is being disregarded. Arthur feels betrayed. He feels like his son is um, like poking at his insecurities, but also defying the logic of like, I am telling you the truth and you're not hearing it. You're, you're purposely being ignorant to common sense. You know, it's like those families that see um, family members get sucked down conspiracy theories. And it's like, I'm trying to help you. And you are purposely doing the opposite of that. Like, it's just it's it's well, crazy. The, and the thing that escalates this more and more is they both have points. Yeah, and like they're they, both they valid both for have, what they feel. Right. Neither of them, at their core argument, is necessarily wrong. Yet, once it starts escalating, now you're getting out of the realms of what's actually the argument's not the argument anymore. Right. Now you're just into personal attacks. Right. And I I think if if Arthur had known that Percy was coming home with this news, he probably could have had a better approach to Percy about it. But I think he was so taken off guard because this is so abnormal that that's why he was so blunt and that's all that Percy heard. So I would argue that this is the worst one. And I think the outcome of the fight just shows that this fight isn't done. I think it's a continuing process. And the reason why it thinks it's a continuing fight is the fact that they give each other the silent treatment in at work. They completely ignore each other. And that to me shows that the emotions are still running high. Whereas like with the trio, they're able to move past it. They're able to talk normally again. Percy and Arthur are not talking to each other. For like Perc two years. For like two years. Percy is, is not with the family yet. And I know that like, you had texted Jen and Julie afterwards to continue discussing, and I know you said <laughs> they they noticed that. Our, for the record, we've we've had this argument on a poll on the chapter four, uh, number twelve Grimroll Place right. episode. You could find it on Spotify. We posted it on Twitter and on Instagram. The those polls have closed, but the one on Spotify is open and will be open for quite a while. So go back and put your two cents in on that poll. <laughs> but they had noticed that those polls were not going in their direction. 
So they were texting you about And they texted it. me while like, we're kind of uh, disconcerted about how this poll is well, going. Well, I know you said that they had made the argument that like blood is thicker than water and that it makes sense that like family is going to forgive each other regardless, whereas friends, there is the risk that they're not going to as much. So Harry had the high risk with screaming at them. Ron and Hermione could have easily been like, fine, screw you. I'm not going to be friends with you anymore. Whereas family tends to be more like connect with that. I have seen firsthand that is not always the case. Yeah, there there are things that can be said and done mm-hmm. in families that are unforgivable. Yeah. And, and we're not going back and saying like, oh, no, you're good. Yeah, you, you messed up. No, no, no. There are big mistakes that you can make mm-hmm. that you can't take back. Mm-hmm. So It fundamentally changes like how you see the person absolutely. and the absolutely. relationships there. So. That's what Molly is clearly fearing has happened here. Right. And you're starting a war that they are involved in. Right. I mean, if Percy had never come back and, like, acknowledged that I was stupid, I shouldn't well, have done that. Like, we're, we're in spoilers, so that eventually does come to pass. Right. His and, back was finally put up against the wall and he had to make a real choice. Right. And, and he, he saw evidence of that everything that they had been saying was true. But he couldn't get out and just be like, oh, I was wrong, because he was still working at the ministry. It was a dangerous position for him to be at when half of the ministry is under control. We, we got to acknowledge Percy's in a, a difficult spot. Yeah. But I, I think to kind of summarize all of this, unless you have more, <laughs> to summarize it, I think to a lot of Jen and Julie's points, there there are differences you know, and fundamental people and how they each handle arguments and trauma and spats with friends and and spats with family. Their opinions of how, which is worse versus like our opinions versus anyone who's listening to this just shows like how your personal experiences help you deal with some of those. Yeah. Or how you interpret situations. You see it very, very differently. So I guess we're saying no one is technically wrong. That being said, I still firmly <laughs> uh, believe the Percy Arthur thing is not even just worse. I think it's a significantly. Well, I mean, like you, you said how his name has become taboo in the family, and, and it's it's father. Against... It's not even the family; it's the whole order. Can't even mention Percy's name, yeah. otherwise they get it. A... But it's, it's also to me, it's, it's it's parent versus child as opposed to friend versus friend. And again, with the friend versus friend, I still feel like it wasn't a fight when two of the three were just waiting for him to be done venting. It's really hard from this chat with the Weasley siblings, like to see your sibling who you've gotten along with in the past, like, yeah, they're not always necessarily your favorite person, but to see them do something that is hurting mom and dad and is also like putting you at odds with them and you're like why are you making this choice this is like how do you not see how dumb this is or how much pain you're causing that kind of stuff it's really really hard the only other is i have to defend dumbledore a little bit okay i know there was a lot you guys were all going on about like why didn't dumbledore tell harry more He's alienated him and he knows he's alienated and he should have like talked a little bit about why he has to go back to the Dursleys every summer. And just like you guys are even saying like lie to the kid so he can just shut up and stop doing stupid things. 
I got to defend him a little bit. So we know at the end of book five, Dumbledore does say that he had the fear that Voldemort would recognize his connection to Harry. And by doing so, he'd recognize how close Harry is to Dumbledore. And he didn't want Voldemort to use Harry as a pawn, which I know is ironic because Dumbledore does use Harry as a pawn, you could argue. But he he didn't want to make it very, very easy for Voldemort to use Harry in that way. Um, especially just against Dumbledore. I personally don't advocate lying to him. I think Harry wouldn't take kindly to that. Well, the problem is Dumbledore is committing lies of omission mm-hmm. constantly. Right. And I think so like, he's lying to him all the I time. I think Harry accepts the lies of omission in book seven because he has finally seen the big picture and he knows what's at stake if he doesn't go through with everything. So I was trying to think like, okay, what could Dumbledore have done differently? I think he could have been safe in warning Harry that Voldemort would have tried to lure him in one way, shape, or form. I think that's reasonable. I think maybe instead of like meeting in person with each other to having one-on-one conversations, maybe he could have had Harry just like write him notes and have someone deliver the note to him and be like, here's my concerns, blah, 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 blah. Like something so that like Voldemort isn't seeing the memories of Harry sitting one-on-one at the table talking about life or whatever, but he's still getting notes across to him. Or I think he just, if he had written Harry like one note over the summer, one would have been all it would have taken. Well, what do you want from these? So I I think all he had to say was like, look, we're getting resources together based on everything that you told us you know, prior to school ending. Um, This is all for your safety as well as the safety of others. Please be patient. Understand that communication can get compromised. I think the big problem here is that Harry's mindset is not in wartime yet. And it isn't in wartime yet because nothing has happened in the news to indicate that war is happening. But he doesn't know, like, how owls can get attacked to get people's letters he doesn't know how like like the fireplace can be watched by the ministry he doesn't know the ways that the enemy can use this communication and manipulate it so he's he's just not like he's naive he's naive but that so i agree with you and i disagree with you on on certain points i i agree dumbledore could have given him more Mm-hmm. That being said, Dumbledore had quite honestly, he's leading this war. He has no obligation to fill Harry in on any of the actual movements. Right. Because Harry's a liability, a massive one <laughs> on many different fronts. Right. So I, I so Dumbledore is a wise enough man to figure out how to tell somebody something without actually telling them anything. Right. That's and what he should have done. I know later on he does have the the quote about, you know, being an old man, forgetting what it's like to feel young and how he was blinded by his own love for Harry to stop himself from bringing more pain to Harry's life by giving him the full extent of the truth. I don't think he needs to give the full extent of the truth. Again, I'm not advocating lying to the kid, but I do think, like, I think Jen was saying, like, a little bit of omission of the truth is okay enough to keep him from, like... Well, that he's doing constantly all the time well i i think just just like give him enough so that he's not doing something stupid i think no, that's fair i think four years of seeing that the kids 
when they don't have enough information, they tend to work on their own and make their own assumptions. Right. And they go into Which Harry is particularly stupid. talented at. <laughs> Harry is very good at that. So I, I, I just, I think that Dumbledore has his, his flaws, certainly. I think our point was just, he could have said something without saying anything. And just him saying something, something would have pacified Harry a little bit. I think uh, one note would have done it. Sure. But, you know, something instead yeah. of just abject silence. Yeah. That's not what you want to go with. That's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. So those are my takeaways from that that very loaded episode. <laughs> Clearly, we did not settle for abject silence. We have <laughs> said all the words. And all that said, I still love Jen. I don't know Julia as well, but I love her based on everything that you guys have told me about her and everything I've heard from the podcast. So, hi, Julia. I have not met at you. <laughs> I am your rock. <laughs> Just listening You're to the episode, wrong. though, I, I was just, my, my mind was, I was boggled. That That's why I had so much to say, because I was boggled. So, as far as this podcast goes, <laughs> Jen and Julie are on one side, me, Anna, and Elizabeth, clearly, <laughs> firmly on the other. Have you asked Molly where uh, she lives? I have not asked Molly yet. We'll, <laughs> we'll get her on the podcast here soon. We'll just put her in the middle. Why not? Just throw her in the middle. <laughs> anyway. Yay! We hope you've enjoyed all of these thoughts. I hope they made some sense. Both on the chapter and on other chapters' disagreements. <laughs> I'm sure this thing will come back up at some point. We'll probably have a book review, and this will probably come back up then. Let us know what you think on all the things that we have commented on. <laughs> Shoot us a comment on Spotify or Twitter or Instagram. Let us know what you think. Participate in those polls. Like I said, thank you all for helping this podcast get to a thousand followers on Spotify. That's amazing. Let's try to do it on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and uh, let's try to do that too and keep this thing going. It's yeah. kind of crazy. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't thank all of you enough. You guys make it worthwhile. And we will see you back for chapter 10 next week. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Pod.